Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. Are you ready to change your life in the next 30 minutes? It's time for Power in a Half Hour with Coach Mark. Get your notebooks ready. He's about to go in. Five, four, three, two, one. Coach Mark, let's go. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in. This is Coach Mark, and you're listening to Power in a Half Hour. In the next 30 minutes, we're going to learn the tips, tricks, and techniques of the rich and the super-duper successful. All right, so the quote that we're going to start today's show with is, If you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. And that's Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And the title of today's show is, I have a dream and a plan. It's not just important to have a dream. You got to have a dream and a plan, all right? I want to thank all of you for listening. want to remind you, if I want to go back and re-listen to any of the old shows, you can go to my website, www.powerhh.com. My website, you can go to my old shows, listen to any of can re-listen. I want to go back, mind you, if I want to listening, you for listening, thank all of you, all right? I want to plan a and a dream. You got to have a name on Facebook is Mark Star, M-A-R-K. S-T-A-R-R. On Instagram, it's at Coach Mark Speaks. That's at C-O-A-C-H-M-A-R-K-S-P-E-A-K-S. For those of my listeners in the United States, I have a daily message service. And to get those messages for free, I send out motivational and inspirational messages every morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Sorry to all my listeners on the West Coast, but 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And to get those messages for free, all you have to do is text the letters BBD to 411247. All right. And don't forget, you can always download my book for free at www.repeataftermebook.com. Great book to go ahead and to start the new year with. Great book to read any time of the year, to be honest with you. All right. Well, we got an absolutely amazing show today. So let's go ahead and get started. Profile number one Kara Brookings. Now, Kara is an author of young adult novels. She's also a single mother of four children. Now, in 2008, Kara had just escaped an abusive relationship with her ex-husband and needed a place for her and her four kids to live. Kara wanted to buy a home, but she found that they were either too expensive or just too small for her family. Kara then had an epiphany. After driving by a house that had just been ravaged by a tornado and seeing all the two-by-fours and the nails, Kara thought to herself that it looked simple enough and that she could build her own home. Now, Kara started watching videos on YouTube every evening, making a list of the tools that she would need and the supplies. She tallied the cost of the supplies for her dream home to be $130,000. Kara would sell a property that she owned to come up with the $130,000 that she would need. Kara had just enough money to buy all the construction supplies and an acre of land. Without looking back, Kara and her four kids 
whose ages at the time ranged from 2 to 17, began building their house. Her oldest son would help draw the blueprint that they would need to get approved by the city. Her daughter would haul water from the neighbor's pond to make a mix to help lay the foundation. Her other daughter would cook for everyone else. Now, Kara and her children worked on the house for nine months. This entire process brought their family together and they learned that nothing is impossible. Here it is. This lady and her four kids built a 3,500 square foot home from scratch. All right. Now, through this process, their family found new hope after all that they had been through. Remember, they just got out of a really bad, abusive relationship. Now, because this was in 2008 and YouTube wasn't as extensive as it is now, Kara would enlist the help of a friendly firefighter who had past building experience. She would pay him $25 an hour when she could afford it to help her with some of the tasks. Now, on March 31st, 2009, the family moved into its 3,500 square foot home. Kara called it the Inkwell Manor because she said she wanted a place where she could write and one that reflected her passion for books and writing. This house has five bedrooms and, of course, a library. Not only does Kara have a home, she also chronicled her experience into a new book called Rise, How a House built a family which will be released on january 24th of 2017 kara said that she hopes the book inspires others to never think small forget everything you've been told about taking baby steps everybody says if you just take a small step every day it will get better in my experience though it doesn't you have to make a big leap it has to be this huge, enormous act. For us, it was building a house. For somebody else, it could be something totally different. But you need to do something big that changes your perception of yourself. Now, granted, this lady built this house eight years ago just by watching videos on YouTube. Now, YouTube has grown into something totally different than what it was in 2008. So you imagine what we can learn to do today. Here it is, this lady and her four kids, all under the age of 18, built a house. What could you learn? What is it that you need to know how to do to take your life to the next level that you could go on YouTube right now and learn? If this lady learned how to build a house back in 2008, there is absolutely nothing that you can't learn to do right now off of going on YouTube. I am very mechanically uninclined and I've learned to fix my own washing machine just by watching YouTube videos. This is a great example of how you can learn how to do anything to take your life to the next level. It doesn't necessarily have to be to make a million dollars. Here it is. This lady needed a place to live for her and her four kids because they had just came out of an abusive relationship. They didn't have enough money to buy the level of house that they needed to house their entire family. So they said, you know what? We're going to figure it out and do it ourselves. And that's exactly what they did. Profile number two, Gary Dahl. Now, in April of 1975, Gary was sitting in a bar listening to his friends complain about their pets. It is here that Gary came up with the perfect pet, a pet rock. He figured that a rock wouldn't have to be fed, walked, bathed, or groomed, and would not die, become sick, or be disobedient. Gary joked about it with his friends, but at the same time, he took his idea very seriously. Gary drafted an instructional manual for his pet rock full of puns and gags that referred to the rock as an actual pet. 
Now, this 32-page official training manual titled The Care and Training of Your Pet Rock was included with the rock with instructions on how to properly raise and care for one's new pet rock. The rocks were smooth stones from a beach in Mexico, and they would come in custom cardboard boxes complete with straw and breathing holes for the rock. Can you believe that? Gary's biggest expense was the die cutting and the manufacturing of the boxes. The rocks only cost a penny each, and the straw was nearly free. This fad lasted about six months, ending after a short increase in sales during the Christmas season of December 1975. By February of 1976, the pet rock was discontinued due to lower sales, but by that time, Gary had sold 1.5 million pet rocks for four dollars each this man made six million dollars off of a fad in six months now this in turn made gary a millionaire now this is an excellent example of what happens when you take action now how many of us have come up with so many different ideas but we never took action i can guarantee you this the ideas that we came up with were probably better than a pet rock so you don't necessarily have to have the greatest idea in the world. All you have to do is take action. This guy came up with the idea of a rock, and guess what? 1.5 million people believed enough in his idea that they sent him $4 for it. In 1975, 41 years ago, this man made $6 million off of the idea of a pet rock. All because he found a need, which is a stupid need to be honest with you, but he took action. Most importantly, he took action. It wasn't even really a need, it was a fad, it was a gag. But he took action and made $6 million 41 years ago. Now every third Monday in January, we celebrate the birthday of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Now, I'm pretty sure that every single one of us is very familiar with Dr. King as he has changed lives all over the world. His influence advanced civil rights during the 1950s and 60s, which was a very turbulent time in the United States, and it brought to the forefront the oppression of segregation that was inflicted on African Americans. There's probably no other American figure that embodies the qualities of leadership and self-sacrifice while faced with the level of overwhelming odds that Dr. King faced. Now, there are plenty of lessons that we can learn from Dr. King and apply to our own lives. Let's now take a look at Dr. King's lessons of success. Who better to study? This man faced so many setbacks, but still was able to make such a huge difference in so many people's lives. Number one, knowing what's possible comes from exposing yourself to more and asking yourself why not. Now at the age of 15, before Dr. King entered Morehouse College, he left the South for the first time to work on a tobacco farm in Connecticut. This experience would change his life as he experienced for the first time the ability to be able to eat anywhere as he would note in the letters that he wrote home to his parents. By being exposed to different ways of living, his perspective that segregation was a fact of life was changed forever. This experience would stay with him for the rest of his life and would influence his decision to become a leader in the civil rights movement. 
Dr. King would also expand his perspective by learning from others who had experienced similar struggles. After studying the teachings of Gandhi during seminary school, Dr. King traveled to India to learn even more about the practice and techniques of nonviolent social change. It's amazing how you never know what experiences can mold your life. Just because this guy went to Connecticut and saw that, you know what? The way things ran in the South didn't necessarily run that same way in the North. And why can't we change in the South? That experience would later go on to make him the person who he ended up becoming. Number two, if something is in your way, sometimes it's better to go around instead of through. Now, in December of 1955, Rosa Parks was arrested for refusing to move to the back of the bus. This resulted in the Montgomery bus boycott, which lasted for 385 days. Now, during that time, Dr. King's organization arranged carpools to shuttle boycotters to and from work and church and encouraged black cab drivers to discount their fares to match the typical bus fare of the day. Now, the boycott went on for over a year and crippled Montgomery's economy. This pressure resulted in the 1956 federal court decision that desegregated Alabama's bus system. Now, although many of Dr. King's adversaries wanted him to preach direct action and even advocate violence by taking the more indirect approach of demonstrating a collective will and buying power, he was able to affect long lasting change. Now, this strategy was way more effective than any riot would have been. Number three, when faced with setbacks, will you give up or will you keep moving forward? Now, Dr. King was arrested 30 times between 1955 and 1965 during the time that he was leading the civil rights movement. His first arrest was in 1955, leading the Montgomery bus boycott. His home was bombed in 1956 by segregationists in retaliation for the success of the Montgomery bus boycott. He was also constantly harassed and subjected to repeated acts of violence. Now, despite all these obstacles, he used every setback and threat as an opportunity to reflect and act. In 1963, after another arrest and another evening in solitary confinement, Dr. King spent his nine days of imprisonment crafting the letter from Birmingham jail. Now, instead of crying about his unjust arrest or being frightened to give up, Dr. King wrote this letter, which became a battle cry against injustice. It is in this letter that Dr. King released the phrases like, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And one has not only a legal, but a moral responsibility to obey just laws, Conversely, one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. Now, Dr. King uses his own personal setbacks as a great motivator for an entire social cause. Now, despite all of the opposition that he faced, Dr. King continued to keep moving forward. And here it is. So many people, they get one rejection. One person tells them no. One person tells them that they don't like their idea and they're ready to quit and throw it all in. Here it is. This man was arrested 30 times. This man was arrested 30 times for what he believed in. This man's house was firebombed. His whole family in danger. Not to mention the threats of violence. But he didn't give up. 
because he believes so strongly in his movement, in the movement. He believes so strongly in what it was that he was doing. Number four, no man is an island. Now, although Dr. King is remembered as the face and the leader of the 1960s civil rights movement, he didn't fight this battle by himself. Dr. King was able to effectively organize student organizations, church groups, and his network of politicians and celebrities that were sympathetic to this movement. Dr. King was able to transform this injustice in Montgomery into a movement that would change the entire country, that would change the entire world. Number five, expect to work hard. Now, Dr. King and many others sacrificed years of their lives to make the civil rights movement succeed. Without their hard work and sacrifices, America would be a completely different place today. This man gave up his life. He sacrificed probably what's the most important thing, our life, our own lives. And he sacrificed himself, going to jail so many times, missing out on his family because he believed in what it was that he was doing. He was not afraid of hard work. He realized that in order to get the results, he had to put the work in. So many people nowadays, if they don't get the results that they want to get in two weeks, they quit. So many of us are so afraid of hard work. Can't be afraid of hard work because it's the only way that we're going to get what it is that we expect or want to get out of life. Number six, have total commitment to your cause. Now, Dr. King was a visionary. He had a dream that was bigger than the times that he lived in. Although everyone didn't understand his vision, he didn't allow this to uncommit him from what he knew he was called to do. If he wasn't committed, he would have quit when times got tough. But his vision for a better America made him even more committed. Sometimes we need to ask ourselves, what is it that we are committed to? Because, see, once you become committed to something, you're not going to quit that easily. Well, many of us have commitment issues. (laughs) We don't want to commit to anything. We need to find something that we believe so strongly about that we're willing to commit to it. We're willing to go all out and not give up. Number seven, never accept the status quo. Now, Dr. King realized that just because something hadn't been done before doesn't mean that it couldn't be done now or in the future. In the fight for civic equality, Dr. King and everyone in the civil rights movement of the 1950s and 60s accomplished more in less than two decades than the previous 350 years had produced. Dr. King realized that the country could change regardless of what the current reality was. Stop looking at what the current reality is. Once you have that dream, once you have that vision, you got to know that that vision could be realized regardless of what the current reality is. Everybody, and I say this almost every week, everyone that has done something great was able to see beyond the current reality. It was able to see beyond what was, because let me tell you something. Most people aren't able to see beyond the current reality. So most people, if you have a dream that is so huge, most people just won't understand it. And if everybody understands it, then it's probably not a big enough dream. So you need to go back to the drawing board and dream bigger. 
And when everybody starts calling you crazy, you might be on to something right then and there. Number eight, pursue your dreams. Now, in 1963, Dr. King gave his most famous speech, I Have a Dream. Now, Dr. King's dream was powerful and served as a motivator for him. Dr. King not only had a dream, he had a plan, a plan of action. Now, without a plan, a dream is just a wish. Now, we all hear constantly on how we should always go after our dreams, yet so few of us actually go after our greatest desires. When we were children, we had these big, grand dreams, but as we got older, we got so caught up in everyday life that we ended up postponing our dreams. Now, although we tell ourselves that this is just only temporary, for too many of us, it ends up being permanent. Now, if we allow this to happen, we end up living a very unfulfilled life. Now, if this sounds like this could possibly be you, we need to do something about it immediately. We must not allow any more time to go by in life without us fulfilling our dreams. Now, for those of us that are unsure, let's take a look at some of the differences between the dreamers and the doers, the people that develop their plan and take action to make sure that their plan is realized. Number one, dreamers talk, doers do. Now, if you ask a dreamer about their dreams, they will paint this the most inspiring picture for you of what they envision. They will talk about every aspect of what they think is possible in the future. The doer, on the other hand, will talk a little and walk a lot. Let me say that again. The doer, on the other hand, will talk a little, but they walk a whole lot. The doer will forsake talk for action. They will wake up early, work late, sacrifice their weekends, and keep going when they face failures. Number two, dreamers postpone, doers start. Now, dreamers will allow robots to distract and delay them. They will come up with reasons for why they can't start today. Doers will start before they are ready. Let me repeat that. Doers will start before they are ready. If they can't start immediately, they will prepare, gather resources, find mentors, and figure out what needs to be done so they can start as soon as possible. Number three, dreamers speculate, doers experiment. Now, dreamers contemplate all the pros and cons of a situation. They hypothesize and come up with theories and all these different things about what is possible. They plan for situations that can come up. While some planning is good, experimenting is better. When you do something, you'll know what works and what doesn't. Only when you do something. You'll never figure out what works and what doesn't work just by thinking about it, by hypothesizing about it, by theorizing about it. You only learn by doing. You'll know what works and what doesn't. When something you're working on fails, you'll have the opportunity to improve upon it. But you can only improve upon it if you start. Doers keep trying and occasionally fail and then try again until it works. Number four, dreamers find excuses. Doers take actions. Now, if something doesn't go their way, the dreamer will blame and then delay. They will come up with reasons as to why their ideas aren't working. They will find excuses as to why they can't continue and why it's someone else's fault. It's always somebody else's fault. The doer, on the other hand, is solution-oriented. They are constantly looking to fix problems. That's how you get paid, by fixing 
problems. Come up with new solutions and get creative with the problems that they face. They continually opt for action instead of letting excuses as to why something can't be done paralyze them. Number five, dreamers listen to fear. Doers work through fear. Fear is natural and everyone will encounter it. Fear will come up anytime that they are outside of our comfort zone. Dreamers allow fear to paralyze them. Doers find ways to push the limits of their fears. Doers get afraid just like dreamers, but doers understand and accept that they have to keep going and they don't stop. They ask themselves, what's the worst thing that can happen? Knowing that the worst usually won't happen and then they move forward. They understand that Overcoming one set of fears will position them to better manage the next set of fears. And number six, dreamers focus on the destination. Doers focus on the journey. Dreamers love to visualize the destination, which is important, but they take no additional steps. Doers actually believe their dream is alive today, not in the future. So each day they focus on getting to the place that they desire. Number seven, Dreamers compare their dreams. Doers construct their dreams. Now, dreamers will think of their dreams and then compare themselves to other people who have achieved their dreams. They will compare themselves to people around them. They will compare themselves to people who tried and failed to achieve their dreams. Doers do less of the comparison game. They simply work on building up their dream each day regardless of what others have done. They look to others for lessons and guidance, not comparison. Number eight, dreamers stop with failure. Doers are inspired by failure. Now, dreamers will fail once and call it quits on their dreams. Doers see failure as a way to improve and get better. Dreamers look at failure as a sign to stop. Doers believe that failure is a sign to step it up to the next level. Doers understand that the more that they fail, the closer that they get to success. And number nine, Dreamers don't believe in themselves or in what it is that they're doing. Doers know the success will come. It's just a matter of time. Now, if you don't believe enough in your dreams, you will give up on them easily. If you don't put effort and energy into achieving your dreams, you have little incentive to keep going. Doers, however, are resilient. They understand that if they quit, their efforts go to waste, so they just keep pushing forward. They understand that every setback will help them get closer to the destination. So if you think that you've spent more time as a dreamer instead of a doer, let's now look at a few techniques that will help move us from a dreamer to a doer. Number one, you got to believe it. Before you can achieve any big dream, you have to believe in the dream and you have to believe in yourself. Number two, take daily action. Taking daily action is what turns your big dreams into a reality. No matter how small the action, every action you take gets you one step closer to your big dream. And every day you take action, you build momentum. Even though a small action may not seem significant at the time, over time, the little actions add up. Number three. Put a time frame on it. If you don't put a time frame on your dream, the hours, the days, the weeks, the months, and the years will pass you by. When you put a time frame on your dream, you hold yourself accountable. Now, the most effective way to do this is to set a goal date and then work backwards. Set specific dates to reach milestones along the way. Number four, 
Dream big and dream boldly. Imagine the most amazing version of your dream and dream that. Make it as real as you can by imagining what it would feel like to achieve it. Ask yourself, what would life be like as a result of this? How would you feel every day? Now, this technique is called mental imagery or visualization. This is one of the techniques that I use with the athletes that I train. Your brain and your body doesn't know the difference between what you imagine and what you are actually doing. So you are actually training your body before the actual realization of your goal. Number five, ignore the critics and the haters. Whenever you pursue a big dream, there will always be people who tell you that it can't be done. These people may be your friends and family. Even though they may feel this way, this doesn't mean that they are correct. These people will usually say that it can't be done. Now, because of their own personal experience, it hasn't been possible for them, but that doesn't mean that it can't be done. So do not listen to them. Number six, share your dream. Share your dream with others that will inspire and motivate and keep you accountable. Now, your dream shouldn't be shared with everyone, only those that want to see you succeed. And number seven, stay open to all possibilities. Now, because there's so many twists and turns on the way to achieving a big dream, rigid expectations can trap you. Drop your expectations and it will help you to set yourself free to pursue your big dream without the weight of disappointment when certain things along the road don't go as exactly planned. Number eight, make room for your big dream. For your dream to flourish, you need to make room for it in your life. You need to clear out everything that no longer serves you and make the time and space to work on your big dream. Number nine, keep the momentum going. Every day that you take action, you build momentum and get one step closer. Once you've got momentum on your side, you become an unstoppable force and success becomes guaranteed. Well, that's all that we have for today's show. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you got some tools, techniques, and tricks that you can use and apply in your life to help make your life as best as it possibly can. Want to remind you, if you want to go back and re-listen to any of the old shows, you can just go to www.powerhh.com or find this in the iTunes store under podcast, Power and a Half Hour. I know you have three friends that should have heard what we talked about today. I know why you were listening. You were like, man, if so-and-so could have heard this, man, maybe this could have changed their life. All right, make sure you share this with them. Tell them about the station that you're listening to this show on, all right? If they don't have access to that station or can't listen to it at the time it's being broadcasted, tell them they can go to my website, www.powerhh.com, and re-listen there, all right? Don't forget to find me on Facebook. My name on Facebook is Mark Starr, M-A-R-K-S-T-A-R-R, all right? Just search for The Real Mark Starr, all right? And... Don't forget, you can always email me your comments, questions, and suggestions at Coach Mark Speaks. That's C O A C H M A R K S P E A K S at gmail.com. All right, so the quote that we're going to end today's show with is I want to suggest some of the things that should begin your life's blueprint. Number one should be a deep belief in your own dignity, your worth, and your own somebodiness. Always feel that you count. Always feel that you have worth and always feel that your life has ultimate 
significance. And once again, that's Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Thank you much, and until the next show. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in. This is Coach Mark, and you're listening to Power in a Half Hour. In the next 30 minutes, we're going to learn the tips, tricks, and techniques of the rich and the super uber-duber successful. All right? So we're going to start today's show with this quote. Rock bottom became the solid foundation on which I rebuilt my life. And that's from J.K. Rowling, the billionaire author of the Harry Potter book series. All right. This lady started with absolutely nothing. She was receiving government assistance. All right. She was dead broke and she became a billionaire. Not even just a U.S. billionaire. She became a billionaire with British money, all right? So you know that's like double what America's money is or something like that, all right? Remember now, this lady started with nothing. She was receiving government assistance, all right? Well, the title of today's show is Nowhere to Go But Up. So if you're on the floor, on the ground, and you feel like you can't go any further, you can't get any lower. Guess what? You got nowhere to go but up. I want to thank all of you guys for listening. Let's go ahead and get started. Profile number one, Anne-Marie Campbell. Now, Anne-Marie was born in Kingston, Jamaica, the youngest of four children. When she was one and a half years old, her father died in a car accident, so she was raised by her mother and her grandmother, who herself was a divorced mother of 10. Now, during the summer, Anne-Marie would work at her grandmother's furniture store in Morant Bay, St. Thomas, called Fid's Furniture Store. This was her first exposure to retail. The way her grandmother interacted with people always stayed with her. Her grandmother would go out and sit out front, and everyone who passed by, she would say hello to them. Anne-Marie says she would wonder why she was going out of her way to reach out to people and her grandmother would tell her that everyone is a potential customer she would say they may not be shopping now but one day they will and they will remember me now during the school year she went to a catholic boarding school for girls Anne marie credits this boarding school with teaching her discipline which helped her cope when she moved to the united states Now, Anne-Marie always says that because the Jamaican school system is so competitive, she and her friends would compete to see who would come in first in her class. The competitive spirit pushed her to go for more in life. She also learned how to interact with different people from all over and get along with all of them. Now, while in school, she would have to attend mass at 6 o'clock every morning. Anne-Marie says that this discipline was good for her at that age, and it never left her. When Anne-Marie was 16, she and her family left Jamaica in search of a better life in the United States. Now, once in the U.S., she enrolled in college, and to help pay her school bills, she took a job as a part-time cashier at the Home Depot. Now, at that time, Anne-Marie didn't have much other than the words and lessons that she learned from her grandmother. She would constantly hear her grandmother's words echoing through her head, such as, whatever you do, do it to the best of your ability. Now, while a cashier at Home Depot, a senior manager was conducting a walkthrough at the branch in which she was working, and when he asked the question, it was the confident Anne-Marie who spoke up and answered the question. 
The manager was so impressed by her response that he became a mentor to her, always encouraging her to go up for promotions, even when she didn't believe she was ready. Now, today, Anne-Marie is that same mentor to many employees at Home Depot's all over the world. Now, over the years, Anne-Marie's advancement in the company, including positions as department manager, store manager, district manager, regional vice president, vice president of operations, vice president of merchandising and special orders, vice president of retail marketing and sales, and vice president of vendor services before being named president of the Southern Division in 2009. Now, in this position, Anne-Marie was in charge of 690 stores and 10,000 employees in 15 states, Puerto Rico, and St. Thomas. Now, in January 2016, she was promoted to executive vice president of U.S. stores with responsibility for 2,000 stores and most of the company's nearly 400,000 employees. Now, in 2010, Anne-Marie was named one of the 75 most powerful women in business by Black Enterprise. In 2012, she was named one of Atlanta's top 100 black women of influence by the Atlanta Business League. In 2014, she was ranked number 38 on Fortune Magazine's list of 50 most powerful women in business. And in 2016, she moved up to the number 20 slot on that same list. Now, Anne-Marie shares with us some of the lessons that she's learned on her journey. Number one, Anne-Marie's life changed when she got a mentor. Her mentor motivated her to become the best Anne-Marie that she could possibly be. Now, today, Anne-Marie helps people be the best that they can be. One of her favorite parts of her job is doing store visits, which she has an opportunity to find the next Anne-Marie. She looks for people who have the will, the energy, and the smarts, and then she helps them in any way that she can. She says that everyone needs help at some point, and she believes that people who work hard and show that they want an opportunity deserve an opportunity. Number two, Anne-Marie credits her rise to the top to her ability to cope. Anne-Marie says that she didn't complain about challenges. She knew from the beginning that there would be potholes and speed bumps along the way. In spite of this, she knew she needed to make things happen. Successful people are those who figure this out and don't complain. Number three, Anne-Marie also offers advice for Jamaicans who move to the States in search of success. And this advice can be applied to anybody. She says that the environment you create when you get to the States is going to be very important. Don't expect it to be like Jamaica. It's not. You have to focus on opportunities and not challenges. Let me repeat that. You have to focus on opportunities and not challenges. Take all that you learned in Jamaica and apply it. Let it work for you. Be bold. Focus on what you want to achieve. Ignore the negatives and don't let anything stand in your way. (laughs) Profile number two, Glenn Cunningham. Now, Glenn Cunningham was born in Kansas. At the age of eight, Glenn's legs were badly burnt in an explosion caused when somebody accidentally poured gasoline instead of kerosene in the can at his schoolhouse. Glenn's brother, Floyd, was 13 at the time and died in the fire. The doctors recommended amputating Glenn's legs, but Glenn became so distressed that his parents would not allow it. The doctors said that he would never walk normally again. 
He had lost all the flesh on his knees and shins and all of his toes on his left foot. Now, at home, when he was not in bed, he was confined to a wheelchair. One day, he threw himself up from the chair and pulled himself across the grass, dragging his legs behind him. He reached the picket fence, raised himself up, and then stake by stake, he began dragging himself along the fence. He was determined to walk again. He did this every day with faith in himself that he would be able to walk unaided. With his iron persistence and strong determination, he did develop the ability to stand up, then to walk hesitantly, then to walk by himself, and finally to run. Glenn had a positive attitude and was a strong religious faith. Glenn would continually repeat his favorite Bible verse himself constantly as a reminder. Isaiah 40, 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Glenn would start walking to school, then he would run to school, and then just run for the sheer joy of running. Now, while in college, Glenn made the track team. Now, this is a guy that the doctor said probably wasn't even going to live. Then when he survived, they said he probably wouldn't walk again. Now he makes his track team in college. Now, Glenn would go on to compete in both the 1932 and 1936 Summer Olympics. While on the ship traveling from the U.S. to Germany, he was voted most popular athlete by his fellow Olympians. In the 1932 Olympics, he took fourth place in the 1500 meters. And in the 1936 Olympics, he took silver in the 1500 meters. In 1934, at New York City's Madison Square Gardens, Glenn, the same person that was not even expected to survive the fire, much less even walk again, ran the world's fastest mile. His world record stood for three years. In 1936, he set the world record in the 800-meter run. In 1938, Glenn would also go on to set a world record in the indoor mile before retiring from competition in 1940. Many consider Glenn to be the greatest American miler of all time. This is a guy that literally almost had his legs burnt off. Doctor said that he was never going to walk again. Ends up becoming one of the greatest milers of all time. This shows you when you have that determination, when you are determined to succeed, nothing, I don't care what a doctor says, nothing will stop you. Nothing will stop you. Profile number three, Earl Nightingale. Now, Earl was an American radio personality, writer, speaker, and author. Earl dealt in the area of human character development, motivation, excellence, and personal development. He was known as the Dean of Personal Development. Now, Earl was born in Los Angeles, California in 1921. By 1933, his father had left him, his mother, and two brothers. It was the bottom of the Great Depression, and millions of people were unemployed. Now, Earl's mother worked in a sewing factory to provide for her three boys. Now, growing up, Earl and his family lived in a tent in a tent city. Now, being poor, especially at that time, didn't seem to bother most of the other kids, but it bothered Earl. He wanted to know why they were so poor, while others he observed appeared to be so rich. Why some people were so miserable, while others were so happy. Simply, what made people turn out the way they do. 
At that time, no one had the answer to his questions, not his mom or any of the other adults in his area. Earl would frequent the library searching for the answers to the questions. How can a person starting from scratch who has no particular advantage in the world reach the goals that he feels are important to him and in so doing make a major contribution to others? His desire to find an answer coupled with his natural curiosity about the world and its workings spurred him to become one of the world's foremost experts on success and what makes people successful. Now, at the age of 17, Earl joined the U.S. Marines, and as a member of the Marines, he volunteered to work at a local radio station as an announcer. Now, in December of 1941, Earl was on the battleship Arizona when it was attacked by the Japanese on Pearl Harbor. Earl was one of 12 surviving Marines that day. After five more years in the service, Earl began to build a very prosperous career in radio. Now, Earl managed to work a deal where he would get a commission on his own advertising sales. By 1957, he was so successful that he decided to retire at the age of 35. This is the guy that grew up in a tent city. Earl would buy his own insurance company and spent many hours motivating its sales force. When he decided to go on a vacation for an extended period of time, his sales manager begged him to put his inspirational words on record. The result of this would become the recording entitled The Strangest Secret, the first spoken word message to win a gold record by selling over a million copies. Now, in The Strangest Secret, Earl had found an answer to the question that had inspired him as a youth and in turn found a way to leave a lasting legacy for others. Now, over the next 13 years, the demand for The Strangest Secret would grow so large that he would accept an offer from a friend, Lloyd Conant, who had a small mail-order company to help him fulfill the orders. Now, together, they formed the Nightingale Conant Corporation of Chicago and became the founding pioneers and world leaders in personal development industry. Now, they also developed a syndicated five-minute daily radio program Our Changing World, which became the longest-running, most widely syndicated show in radio. Earl says that Napoleon Hill's book, Think and Grow Rich, inspired the answer to the question he had long been looking for. We become what we think about, and as ye sow, so shall ye reap. Let me repeat that. We become what we think about most of the time, and as ye sow, so shall ye reap. Now, Earl realized that he had been reading the same truth over and over again from the New Testament to the works of Emerson. Some of Earl's accomplishments include a gold medal for the LP, The Strongest Secret. In 1976, he won the Golden Gavel Award from Toastmasters International and was also inducted into the National Speakers Association Speaker Hall of Fame. Now, in 1985, Earl was also inducted into the Association of National Broadcasters National Radio Hall of Fame. Now, during his lifetime, Earl wrote and recorded over 7,000 radio programs, 250 audio programs, as well as TV programs and videos. Let's now look at some of Earl's rules to success. And let me tell you, Earl drops the knowledge. This is one of the guys that I consider to be one of my mentors, even though I never personally met him. I've learned so much from him over the last 10 years. Number one, improve your attitude. 
Let me repeat that. Improve your attitude. Earl says that attitude is the most important word in any language in the world. It's our attitude to the world and all the people in it that will determine the world's attitude and all the people in its attitude towards us. People will react to us according to our attitude. Earl says that only man has the power to change his surroundings to fit him because his environment will change as he changes. That's what separates man from any other beast, any other animal, any other thing out there. We have the power to change our environment. Now, a man's environment is a mirror of him as a human being. So if he thinks that his environment should improve, all he has to do is improve. If you're unhappy with your surroundings, guess what? All you have to do is improve, and then instantly your surroundings will improve. Number two, recognize opportunity. Earl says that there's nothing more pitiful in life than the person that runs from one thing to another, forever looking for the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and never staying with one thing long enough to find it. No matter what your goal may be, perhaps the road to it may be found in the very thing that you are doing right now. Earl says that the average man believes Some businesses are better than others instead of realizing the truth that there are no bad businesses. Just those people that are unable to see the opportunity in the work they are in. Regardless of what your work happens to be, it's your business. You're the manager. If it seems as though there's no future or opportunity in it, it isn't always because it's not there. Maybe it's because you can't see. Now, we all know people like this. Maybe at some point in time, we've all been like this, where we bounce around from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing, looking for the right opportunity. Guess what? We're never going to find it until we become the success. Once we become the success, then everything that we touch will become successful. It's not the opportunity. 99 times out of 100, it's generally us. That's why you can take two people and put them in the same business or give them the same opportunity. One ends up becoming very successful at it and one ends up doing nothing. It's not the opportunity. It's the person. Once you become the success, everything you touch will be the success. Let me repeat that. Once you become the success. That's why I always, always, anytime I'm coaching people, I tell people, work on yourself so you can become the success. Because once you become successful, anything you touch will become successful. You have the golden touch. But until then, okay. Number three, exercise your mind. Earl recommends that you take one hour a day, five days a week to exercising your mind. Take one hour a day, And take a blank sheet of paper and at the top of that page, number one, write down your primary goal. Number two, because our future depends on how we handle our work, write down as many ideas as you can for improving that which you do now. And number three, think of 20 possible ways to improve the activities that fill your day. Even if you don't get 20, guess what? One idea is good. That's all it takes is one idea to change your life. 
Now, Earl says to remember two important points as it relates to this. Number one, this won't be easy. And number two, most of your ideas probably won't be any good. Even though this won't be easy, it's just like forming a new habit. You got to do it over and over and over again. Write down every idea, even if it seems absurd. What this process will do is deeply embed your goal into your subconscious mind. 20 ideas a day equal 100 ideas a week. One hour a day times five days a week equals 260 hours a year, which still leaves you with 3,740 hours of leisure time to watch TV or be on social media or do whatever it is that you want to do. But here's my guess. If you embed your goal so deeply into your head, you're not going to waste away those 3,740 hours. You're going to be thinking about ways for you to accomplish your goal with most of those 3,740 hours. You'll be thinking about your goal, the equivalent of six and a half, 40 hour working weeks a year. Now, if you can do this, you will rise far ahead of the competition because how much is most other people thinking about what it is that they want to accomplish? None. Zero. That's why at the end of the year, they have none. Zero. That's why at the end of five or ten years, they have none. Zero. It's not not hard to get past the competition because guess what? They're not even in the race. Once you start this, your mind will continue to think all day long and you will get really great ideas all day long and just one great idea, just one, can completely change your life. Number four, (laughs) invest in yourself. Earl says that you wouldn't invest in a company that didn't have a good research and development department, a company that didn't invest back in itself because its future depends on it. Well, same was the same thing with every one of us. Earl says, ask yourself, how much of your pay have you spent on materials that will help you to become more smarter this year than you were last year to make you better as a human being than you were the year before? How much money are you pumping back into yourself and your future? Now, if you were investing in a company, say Apple, and you found out that they were not spending any money in trying to upgrade the iPhone, in trying to upgrade the iPad. It might seem crazy what I'm about product. to say. That wouldn't be a good company. Sometimes she's here. Because guess what? After a while, everybody's going to surpass them. What's the same thing with us? Hot air balloon if we're not constantly investing space. money in improving ourselves, guess what? Yeah, we're like I don't care, baby, by the way. Yeah. 
you will probably not make another mistake as long as you live. Most people play the world's most unrewarding game. It's called follow the follower. Then he goes on to tell the story of the jeweler and the foreman. He said every morning a man would stop in front of a jewelry store and set his watch against a clock in the front display window at the jewelry store. Now one day the owner came out. This man had been doing this for years. So one day the owner came out and asked the man, why was he adjusting his watch to the clock in the window? Now, the man said, I'm the foreman down at the big plant down the street, and I ring the quitting bell at 5 o'clock, so I want to make sure that my men get out of there at the right time. The jeweler, the jeweler looking a little puzzled, then said, that's funny because I've been setting my clock to that quitting whistle for all these years. <laughs> so the question is, Ask yourself, are all the people I'm following going where I want to go? Number eight, treat your customers well. If you have a boss, treat him or her well. That person is your customer. Your boss may be crude, coarse, ignorant, a jerk, 
or selfish, which oftentimes will be the case in which it's even more important for you to treat them with all the care that you can. Now, if you respond the same way to them that they do to you, then you're admitting that you're no better than them. Number nine, learn how to solve problems. Robert Seashore said, successful people are not people without problems. They're simply people who have learned to solve their problems. Living successfully and getting the things we want in life is about learning to solve the problems that stand between where you are and where you want to be. That's it. That's it. If you can solve those problems in between, you've got a successful life. And number 10, we become what we think about most of the time. And this is what Earl calls the strangest secret. This is why thinking about your goals are so important because we will become that. This is why most people who set goals achieve them. Man's problem isn't in achieving their goals. It's actually establishing them. Wow, that was quite an amazing, amazing show. Right, We talked about one of my mentors, Earl Nightingale. Man, a lot of great, great, great info. You guys probably need to go back and re-listen to this because I know I dropped a lot of jewels on this show. All right? Want to remind you, you can go back and re-listen at www.powerhh.com. That's www.powerhh.com. All right? Share this with three friends. I know you got three friends that should have heard what we talked about today. Share it with them. Sharing is caring. Make sure you share it with your friends. All right? And the quote that we're going to end today's show is, whatever we plant in our subconscious mind and nourish with repetition and emotion will one day become a reality. And that's from Earl Nightingale. Thank you much. And until next show. Thanks for listening to Power in a Half Hour with Coach Mark. To listen or re-listen, go to PowerInAHalfHour.com. Follow Coach Mark on Instagram and Twitter at Coach Mark Speaks. Find Coach Mark on Facebook by searching for Mark Star. Like our Facebook fan page, Power in a Half Hour. And join our Power in a Half Hour Facebook group. See you next week. You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.